He's to the 45. He's oh, to he's the 50. Oh, no, he's not. No, he's not going to plant it in the midfield of the O, is he? Wow. Yes, he is. Rattler again to throw it. Steps up in the pocket. Throws on the run. guys welcome to the Oklahoma breakdown podcast brought to you guys by sb nation's crimson and cream machine i'm your host this evening kamir Morabian, joined by my co-host stephen brown to talk some post-game stuff about iowa state stephen how are you how are you feeling today how are you feeling today about yesterday and how are you in general man uh i, I battled a hangover for sure um this morning but we bounced back pretty well um through the afternoon um OU wise I mean that was one of those games I didn't really walk away from it being like wow that was a fun game to watch that was that was a fun win um that was more exhausting than anything uh, but you know there were some bright spots here and there I think uh defensively it kind of looked like a, a early 2000s hard-hitting defense at times so that was that was good to see yeah and so that's something I wanted to mention I mean at the end of last week's podcast on Wednesday, we described the Sooners on senior day and what we kind of expected to see as their final scores of the game, keys of the game, what we expected to see. And we both did not necessarily see an OU defense showing up. I mean, OU's defense showed up really, really well for the majority of the entire game with the exception of maybe one drive. Otherwise, they played a very, very clean game. You expressed, I believe, that Oklahoma would Oklahoma would lose thirty-one <laughs> to twenty-eight in a close one. I expressed Oklahoma would win thirty-four to thirty-one in a close one. I mean, regardless, we we both thought this game would be relatively very close. Uh, at the end of the day, it was a close game, twenty-eight to twenty-one. Even though Gabe Burkich, if you had just nailed Ooh. a simple chip shot, that was a bad you, one. You're, you're not. You weren't. You wouldn't have been sweating at the end. Uh, Oklahoma would have had a. 17 point lead uh when somebody would have scored instead of of a 10 point lead or something along the lines of that Oklahoma would have had a 10 point lead after Iowa State have scored and you'd have still been up two scores instead of sweating it out to the very last possession where Brock Purdy a la last year's Big 12 title game ends up throwing an interception near the goal line and so another poetic ending Brock Purdy ending <laughs> Uh, his career against the Oklahoma Sooners with one win, which is nice, but it's weird to think about that both of these teams were preseason favorites to be in the Big 12 title game once again because they returned so much production from last year. And then Oklahoma, they're 10-1. and one. They're still at the top of the Big 12 table. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't sink to third if they don't win this coming Saturday. But I mean, it's just so interesting to see that Oklahoma's ten and one, and then you also have Iowa State, who is now six and five, a far cry from where they were last year. And so let's talk about yards. Let's talk about some stats really quick before we get into actually everything else. So rushing yards, Lincoln Riley, they found the rushing game once again today for some reason. Don't know why. Uh, it most likely has something to do with Iowa State playing a 3-3-5 with three safeties over the top, giving OU actually room to run. Oklahoma, 
209 yards on the ground. You know, that includes that massive run from Caleb Williams early on in the game, but still 209 yards on the ground, 6.1 yards per carry on 34 attempts. You look at Iowa State, they have 51 total yards rushing with Brees Hall with a guy and Brock Purdy that can actually run the ball on 1.5 yards a rush on 35 attempts. So you are having almost equal amount of attempts. Oklahoma just destroyed their offensive line the entire day. Passing yards, ugh, 96 yards. Caleb, Caleb Williams was 8 of 18, had an interception and a touchdown. You had one completion from Spencer Rattler because Caleb Williams' helmet flew off. So Caleb Williams, one interception, one touchdown, and then he had Brock Purdy. I mean, the guy had to throw the ball 52 times, so you would expect his yardage to be up there. He was 32, 50, 35 of 52, 310 yards. Of course, he got a little bit dinged up, so you had another quarterback come in there. That's where I say the defense was kind of a little bit iffy on one drive. Otherwise, they played a, pretty, a really clean game, for being quite honest. Uh, both quarterbacks... Settle for two touchdowns, two interceptions. The four, the Sooners forced three turnovers, one right before halftime, which was probably one of the more fun plays I've seen in a while from the Sooners. Iowa State, of course, forces that one interception. Time of possession. Iowa State almost doubles up Oklahoma, 38 minutes to 22. They almost had 40 minutes of possession where Oklahoma only had, uh, almost nearly only had 20 minutes of time. So, Let's talk about a couple things. Earlier this season, we mentioned, I think we mentioned this like four or five weeks ago. We were starting to see the defense, uh, looking at the defense and wondering if they were going to do something. Um, now we're doing, now we're saying the same things about the offense. And is this just Caleb Williams being a freshman now that teams are kind of really just focusing in on Caleb Williams and what he can do? Or is this just the types of defenses that Oklahoma's being that, that, that they're facing between Baylor, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, high quality defenses that are going to give you really tough looks that where you're going to have to hammer in balls to tight windows because it's not anything new for an Iowa State, for an Iowa State, a Baylor to give Oklahoma trouble. They did the same thing with Kyler. They did the same thing with Baker. They have you thrown tight windows by dropping into coverage. And that's when you have to rely on the run game in which Oklahoma, they definitely did today. So we flipped from wondering if the defense is going to get their crap together to now wondering if the offense is going to get their crap together. So is it Caleb Williams being a freshman? Is it a benefactor of what the team's Oklahoma is facing? Is it somewhere in between? Tell me something good or bad, or just give me your diagnosis on the entire situation. Yeah, I think you can point to about three different things in this instance. Obviously, let's not be naive here. Caleb Williams has had a terrible day. Um, I think he was a little too patient in the pocket, a little bit indecisive as a, as a passer. Um, things we kind of harped on. When he replaced Spencer Rattler, those are things that he didn't do, and now he's kind of fallen back um, into the same mold that that uh, we were kind of just bitching about Spencer Rattler with. Um, another thing, you have to remember that this is Oklahoma's toughest slate of the schedule. Um, they're playing three really good teams. Um, you have a true freshman quarterback that hasn't seen a lot of football, um, didn't play his senior year, still catching him out the playbook, so... 
Um, those mistakes are going to happen. Unfortunately, that's something you have to live with at this point. There's no really correcting it. Um, as far as just maybe dumbing down the, the X's and O's, I think he just has to make plays out there. And then the other thing is Lincoln Riley has to dial up some better plays. I think, um, towards the middle of that game, you kind of saw them do some long developing pass plays where it just wasn't working out. There wasn't enough time in the pocket. Um, and when there was Caleb Williams was just kind of overthinking it. So, um, you can add that up to a mixture of three things as a result of that, that bad day for the QB position. And we saw when Oklahoma started to go up tempo, they actually had a lot of success. Mm -hmm. And so I was wondering why Oklahoma wasn't going more up tempo as the game went on. And so I think, I, I think you're, you're kind of spot on there. I think there's also times in which he is still definitely a freshman. He has not played organized football since his junior year of high school or prep school. And so when there's times where you would see Kyler, you would see Baker, even Jalen Hurts, just trust the play that's in mind. And knowing that that receiver is going to be in the middle of that zone, you just have to wait on the break. I think Caleb Williams is still in his high school mentality as far as when the guy breaks open, that's when I'm going to throw him the ball. Mm -hmm. Not when the guy's just about to break open, that's when I'll deliver the ball. I think you're seeing that in effect right now you're seeing his high school mentality of oh he's wide open time to throw instead of oh he's about to break wide open now time to throw so i think you're catching that as well and so going on off of that of course rain went out it looked pretty gnarly his knee was wrapped up uh, i think you'll see robert congle for the rest of the year not quite honestly it didn't look like the offensive line really skipped a beat with robert congle out there uh, if we're being quite honest in the run blocking <laughs> game and so Lincoln Riley's play calling has been, like you said, kind of befuddling at some instances. It's It's been predictable at some instances. He's mentioned himself that he has to do a much better job at keeping Caleb Williams in a place for success, which is depending upon that run game, man. If teams are going to put two high safeties, you need to be using that split back. You need to be using their Q QB run game. And if they're going to put uh, you know five guys in the box and you're going to have one safety high, then of course you need to take chances downfield. And so my question is this, it feels like Oklahoma is still operating off of some sort of playbook that is in between Spencer Rattler and Jalen Hurts, because you're seeing a little bit more and more Jalen Hurts kind of run games sprinkled into the playbook as we go along the season. Um, why not just bust out the Jalen Hurts playbook where you have Drake Stoops when he doesn't have the flu, simply just run across the formation to see if the opposing the opposing defense is playing in man or zone coverage and then go from there and diagnose what the offense is doing. Why are we not doing that? Why are the Sooners are not doing that? And why not bust out that Jalen Hurts playbook? It obviously worked out well for him. This defense seems to be coming around, especially if they can just get after it as time after time, as they've shown. I mean, Iowa State's offensive line isn't that very good. And Oklahoma State's offense, I mean, they're nothing really to brag home about, despite the fact that they are more than formidable. Spencer Sanders will make really, really great plays as much as he'll make really, really, really bad right. plays. Um, and so why not bust out that Jalen Hurts package? Why not have him play that Jalen Hurts style of football, but with the idea also in the mind that he has a better arm than Jalen Hurts at this time, and he's just going to grow into that system. Is this just him simply being a freshman and you need to water down the playbook? 
or do you use that Jalen Hurts package? Like, is that something that is an option, or is that something that it's just too far gone? You've got maybe three games, definitely two games left to the season. What do you think here? I think it's too far gone, but also you have to remember that Caleb Williams has been running this playbook um, for a few games now, and it's worked um, in some instances. So I don't think it's a matter of just simply shifting the playbook over. And at the same time, I don't think Caleb Williams is as durable um, as Jalen Hurts. So you don't like, obviously the big run was cool, but I don't think that's going to be a go-to very often just because Jalen Hurts is just a physical freak. Like, I mean, it's, it's like a linebacker as a running back playing quarterback. So um, Caleb Williams, obviously a very good runner, but I don't think you really want to put the wear and tear on him as a freshman at this point. And the, that, that's another thing is that, I mean, has he really experienced that much wear and tear? The man, like most yeah, often. The, the hands. The, 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 he's got the hand. Do you think the hand is really affecting him, to be quite honest? No. Well, maybe a little bit. I think the shoulder also is affecting him because remember he went down early in that game. Um, I think he was sacked and just landed on his, his throwing shoulder and had to be looked at on the sideline. Mm-hmm. So obviously came back in, wasn't that bad, but you could tell that he's not throwing the same type of balls that he was against Texas. And a lot of this is coming out of the idea that the defenses are just rushing three to four guys, and he has plenty of time to sit back in the pocket. Say what you want about the Oklahoma run blocking pass pro. They're actually getting a lot better as the season has progressed, and you're seeing him with plenty of time, but just nobody relatively to throw to. And that's kind of a, a huge, huge, huge concern heading into next week where the Sooners are going to be expected to play against the best defense they have played all year. I know it's Bedlam. I know how Mike Gundy gets in those situations, but there's, it's just, it's just, it's concerning. I mean, Mm -hmm. you've got three to four guys rushing. You probably got one or two, one guy spying and you got a check down, which might get you two to three yards, but instead he has that freshman's mistake that we saw with Spencer Rattler have last year where he just holds onto the ball too long and ends up getting sacked. He takes so many unnecessary sacks instead of just getting out of the pocket and tossing the ball outside of bounds, you know, just for just for getting rid of the ball. Micah Allen for Cowboys ride for free from our sister, uh, our, our sister affiliate of SB Nation. Uh, she'll be podcasting with us actually on Wednesday. He says, hi there, pessimistic OSU fan here. We're all under the understanding that OU will play their best game of the year this Saturday night. How do you how do you feel about that situation? Best game of the year? I don't really think that's going to be put together. I mean, you really have to have a pretty dynamic performance from Caleb Williams, who has struggled for two games straight. So um, defensively, obviously, they're putting some things together. They looked really, really good. But uh, offensively, I mean, if Caleb Williams finds confidence, maybe, but it's kind of tough to say that they're going to go out there and just be a different Oklahoma than they already are. And that's where I'm at too. I think, I feel like, I feel like defensively Oklahoma is going to be pretty okay and pretty solid for the majority of that game, especially where Oklahoma state has been offensively all year in Oklahoma offensively all year has been actually pretty good, especially under Caleb Williams. But now for the last two games, under actual pretty decent defenses, one under Aranda that's just really, really well coached, and one where a scheme is where you just can't really get anything going 
between uh, underneath and over the top. You have to go a lot of intermediate routes, which leads you open to linebackers and safeties pushing up. And now you're entering a place where the defense is really, really good. It's going to force you into tight windows along with an offense that has been relatively anemic lately, not necessarily be at that, at the detriment of Caleb Williams at the detriment of the offensive line or the running backs. But man, some of the play calling, like you said earlier is just like befuddling and not just <laughs> even on the offensive side, on the defensive side, why Nick Benito ever leaves the field other than just to take a breather blows my mind. I don't understand why. Like I, I, I understand other guys constantly rotating because re- remember when Clemson was winning Big 12 and Big 12, remember when Clemson was winning national titles, they would just rotate bodies in and out on that defensive front. And they had a four, three, four, five star guys in there that were just ready to go and make it a contribution. And they were very, very effective, just bringing in waves upon waves upon waves of talent. But when you have an All-American, a guy that's a first, second rounder like Nick Benito, you don't take him off the field. Why are you taking him off the field? And when you have him on the field, why are you having him spying the QB instead of actually rushing rushing the passer as he is one of the nation's best pass rushers ever? not pass rushers ever pass rushers in this draft class. One of the best pass rushers in the last decade for Oklahoma. Why are you putting him in these positions? Because he's spying. So he's too close to the line of scrimmage to actually affect any sort of airwaves behind him regarding Charlie Kolar. And then you're actually not, you're not, you're not actively having him rush the quarterback. So why is Nick Benito off the field in like, Kudos to Caleb Kelly and really just saying, you know, playing his heart out this year, giving everything he has like a Caleb Kelly would. But now with him off the field, that means you're seeing Marcus Stripling. You're mm-hmm. seeing more Nick Benito, which is good. That's what you want to see. And you don't want to see that because of Caleb Kelly's injury. But those are the things that Caleb Kelly's injury brings about. I'm not trying to say Caleb Kelly, Caleb Kelly's injury is a positive thing, but I'm saying for the services of Nick Benito, you want him on the field. Why, why is he, do you have any idea why he's coming off the field? I don't really know the, the understanding behind that because I mean, I guess for this game, you could look at the time of possession. Oklahoma's offense was going three and out pretty much every time the defense was playing on the field. uh, You know what? Three fourths of that game. So um, in that instance, yeah, you do want to rotate some bodies here and there, but Nick Benito, I mean, He's a dynamic athlete. You look at Eric Stryker and what he did. He never came off the field, and it, it works. So, um, and Nick I Benito kinda, is like what four inches taller and thirty pounds yeah, heavier. Yeah, he's a big dude. So, I really don't know what the understanding. Like, why would you do that? Um, and then kind of take away one of your most premier pass rushers you'll probably have in your time in Oklahoma. So, and that's, that's a big, thing. big question mark. That's the thing because you you mentioned Eric Stryker. That's a great example. Eric Stryker could only go around offensive tackles. It wasn't very one, often. One tool. It wasn't very often where you would see him split and go in between a guard and tackle. Nick Benito can go around you. He can go between you. He can go through you. The guy's just a shooting freaking missile that knows how to get to the quarterback and knows how to make big plays in the backfield. 
And the fact that he comes off the field at any time other than just to get a breather and get some oxygen mask like Oboe is just totally beyond me. Josh Burr from the comments from YouTube says, I may have missed it, but what do you guys think of the pass breakup that DJ Graham caused that ruled it a catch and put the ball at the half yard line? Oh my gosh. So <laughs> that play in, in real time, because this is this is the issue with slow-mo replay, not just with football, but also basketball. Like, think about it in basketball. When somebody deflects the ball out of your hands, most likely they've deflected it, but it still comes off your pinky fingers. And if you play that in super slow-mo, it's going to say it's off of you, even though the other guy knocked it out of bounds. And so everybody knows in pickup, Everybody knows in real-time situation that's off the defense. So you take that same knowledge and content to football in real-life time. That's not a catch. He caught it, and DJ Graham got his hand in there and smashed it down. That's over. It's a pass breakup. It's third and 18. It's fourth and 18 now, and they have to, they have to kick a field goal or punt or something. But they rule it a catch. DJ Graham punches the ball out it's a fumble but then they view it oh well his foot was out of bounds so therefore since his foot was out of the bounds when he touched the ball when it came loose it's at the half yard line instead of it rolling out of the back of the end zone and being a touchback which technically i understand that ruling because yeah if he is out of bounds it needs to be at the one yard line but that doesn't Excuse the fact that remember last year when the same exact thing happened versus Kansas where the Kansas defender was out of bounds and he punched the ball out, I think on a Buki interception and they ruled that still a Kansas recovery, despite the fact he was out of bounds. I mean, DJ Graham has made several plays this year. He went out of this game. I I can't remember what his injury was or what his diagnosis was. It was concussion. Are you talking about? For this game, for this game, I don't I think it was groin. concussion. I don't think it was. Groin yeah, it was, it was a groin issue. That's what it was. And so it's just, it was a really good play on his part. Uh, Key Lawrence comes in. Key Lawrence plays really well too. I mean, like that's another thing about this team is that Key Lawrence actually played really, really well, especially for a guy that's playing safety for the majority of his career. Just get him on the field. He belongs on the field, whether it's at nickel or that's a safety or it's a cornerback. Keep him on the field because as we've seen over the last few weeks, you've got DTY back. You've got Woody Washington back. You've got you've got DJ Graham back, who is likely, if I'm going to assume, is likely to end up going this coming Saturday in Bedlam. You get all those dudes there, and then you have Justin Broyles there, and we can, we can get in that to a little bit later. But you get all those dudes there. You get Marcus Stripling. Jalen Redmond's playing real, really, really well. Uh, you got Deshaun White back. Apparently, the flu had just, just completely wrecked this team over this the, the bye week where you had barely enough guys to practice. It looks good. It, the product on the field on defense, we talked about this. It raises the floor. and It makes the defense look more than formidable because Iowa State, they're not a bad offensive team. I mean, it, it, they have, they, they've got several dudes and we'll talk about it a little bit later. So let's talk about it. Key Lawrence is a major part of this defense. A conversation I had earlier today on Twitter, and I thought it was an interesting one. It originally started out as like, 
I guess you could say an argument, but then it kind of, I guess, like, I don't know, boiled down to a dialogue as far as Billy Bowman started the season, a nickelback, and then all of a sudden, because of Jane Davis wasn't playing so well, you saw the cornerbacks getting abused. They put him out at cornerback. And the next thing you know, he's just nowhere to be found on the field. He just doesn't play. And so my question is, is it, and this is my guess, Alex Grinch, especially towards the end of the season, they see these guys in practice, right? And they know what they're getting in Justin Broyles. Justin Broyles is a great communicator on defense. He isn't, although he's not a team captain, he's very experienced and he knows the calls and he knows where to be. And Alex Grinch knows exactly what he's getting from Justin Broyles. Whereas Billy Bowman, he's inexperienced. He's still catching up to the speed of the game. He doesn't necessarily know always where to make calls. And he has peaks just as much as he has valleys because he is straight out of high school. And so in your opinion, Justin Broyles, does he deserve to continue starting? Or do you think at some point it's something's got to give him Billy, giving Billy Bowman a chance because everybody is rotating unless your name is DTY, Pat Fields, <laughs> DJ Graham, and even sometimes Woody Washington. Everybody else on the field is rotating. Why not at nickel? Is Justin Justin Broyles, for a lot of us, is not the answer here. But for Alex Grinch, it seems like it because of experience and practice. What's your point of view? Yeah, I'm on the, the side that Justin Broyles just shouldn't even be on the field. Like, obviously... Let's not take away from he's a, he's a great guy, great team player. And he had a good game last this last game. Oh yeah, he he has his moments, but he's not on the level talent wise that Oklahoma needs um, at that spot. And to his credit, I don't think Billy Bowman on on Charlie Kolar would have been a great matchup either. That would have been uh, probably <laughs> as bad, if not worse. Fair. Um, but at the same time, you want to get your best players on the field. Um, Bowman's young, he's going to make mistakes, but you're going to have to live with that eventually because Justin Broyles is on his way out, and you don't really have an answer there uh, because you're not going to play Key Lawrence at nickel at the moment. And this is my opinion. If the two prospects, like Justin Broyles, Billy Bowman, if those, if either of those players are relatively close in their talent at all, if they're relatively close at all, you go with the guy with the higher upside. That way you give him a jump start in next year. Right. Now, I understand that Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch right now are trying to win two consecutive games or at least one game to get into the Big 12 title game and that they know what they're getting in Justin Broyles and they don't want a chance on maybe a valley for Billy Bowman in a, in a busted coverage because we've seen Billy Bowman bust coverages just because of a lack of communication yep. because he's new. And so although Justin Broyles is not as fast, although he's not, not as athletic, although he's not as talented as Billy Bowman, you know exactly what you're getting. He knows what his assignment is. He's usually around the vicinity where he's yeah, supposed he, to make that he play. He knows where he's supposed to go. He just doesn't have the speed to go there. Exactly. And I think that's a part where, and I, and I know a lot of Sooner fans might hate to say this, but I think it's a part where you kind of miss Buki. I mean, like last year, he was. Oh, I said that that in the tunnel when it, I was leaving. Like, in Buki would have had a good game here. For real. Like, like last year, I mean, he's been a much maligned former Oklahoma Sooner. 
years prior, of course, yeah, he, he had his due his due process of being crapped on. But last year, he was in a lot of positions for success, and he made the most of those positions when he was in that position for success. This year, Justin Broyles just simply does not have the foot speed to get there. And so I think next year, they're really planning on Jeremiah Cradell, Key Lawrence, who's actually probably going to be just one of the safeties because we know Pat Fields and DTY are gone after this mm-hmm. year. Uh, and then, so you're going to be looking at Billy Bowman as well as a guy in nickel. And so my question is, is the defense actually growing and rounding into the shape because of the guys they're getting back? Or is it something else? Because let's look, let's look at it. Brock Purdy, Xavier Hutchinson, Brees Hall, Charlie Kolar. Only one of those guys had an actual good game. Brees Hall barely even had 50 yards. He had that one touchdown off that fluke, like Josh Burr brought up, that fluke pass breakup that was not oh, a complete yeah. pass. That's the only reason why he got a touchdown. Oklahoma shut him down and really got him down to the ground, usually after like the first guy that tried to tackle him. Xavier Hutchinson, he had the ball thrown his way several times and he was either overthrown or the Sooner just made a good play on the ball or they were just pressuring the hell out of Brock Purdy because their offensive line is not that great. Now, toward the end of the game, you saw just Charlie Kolar go off and it wasn't until the Sooners finally doubled Charlie Kolar with Brian SMO and a safety where you saw the game actually finally end off a tip drill um, where Brock Purdy obviously wanted to go to Charlie Kolar, couldn't because he was doubled with the safety and Brian Asamoa. He tries to throw it over the middle, goes too high, gets tipped up and intercepted by Pat Fields to end the game. Is the defense actually rounding into form? Are they getting better? The defensive line um, surrounding Redmond is is going off right now. I think he's kind of been the key all along. We all kind of looked at Perry on Winfrey before the season as being that guy that's going to be the catalyst for this whole thing, but when Redmond emerges, everyone else is playing better. Isaiah Thomas is playing better. Perry on Winfrey is obviously playing really well right now. So um, I think it all starts with Jalen Redmond. Does Jalen Redmond come back next year, to, in your I opinion? Think he probably does. He probably needs a little bit more tape. That's at least, in my opinion, he Especially does. Especially against the SEC teams, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Since we all know, oh, you said to the SEC next year. Um, and, and all the Big 12 woes are over. So, um no, but I, I think everything surrounds Redmond, and they really sold out to make this day not about Brees Hall. I think that was the entire point um, going into this game is maybe they beat us over the top, but we're not going to let Brees Hall just run all over us in this game. And to Oklahoma's credit, none of that happened, right? I mean, you had a couple lucky bounces here and there for Iowa State, and you had one very lucky bounce for Oklahoma at the very end of the first half where Iowa State's driving to score before OU gets the ball out of half. And Key Lawrence, not only does Key Lawrence just like, you see him just flying to the frame of your TV, jarring that ball loose. Not only does he do that, he immediately gets up and lays two blocks on two Iowa State offensive linemen, allowing Jalen Redmond to get in the end zone for a scoop and score, thick six, as some people are calling it. And just an incredible play with seven seconds left on the clock. Key Lawrence is developing into a, a major, major, major person on this defense. And I think that's the kind of guy that Alex Grinch really wants there. And so it makes me think of, 
uh, if only Alex Grinch had been around for Steven Parker and Ahmad Thomas. Oh yeah. What he could have done with those two dudes in the defensive back in the, in the defensive backfield. All right. Offensive woes. We kind of mentioned this, but specifically only to Caleb Williams. Is there any possible remedy that you might see that could help out the offense? I mean, like, like we said earlier, last year you saw not last year two years ago you saw drake stoops just running left to right to see who if they were in man if the if the defenses were in zone making checks at the line and going from there and then you had mike gundy just like listing off names of old ou quarterbacks and just just suggesting oklahoma is a wishbone team lining up in a spread formation is there any possible remedy or anything that oklahoma can do that would make their offense better because caleb williams i mean again he's still a freshman he's a true freshman that has not played real organized football for two years despite the fact that he moved to norman last year as a senior in high school do you see any remedy not talent wise and really in the X's and O's, you might be able to do something there because right now these guys are who they are. And, and I don't think anyone should fool themselves into thinking everything's just going to magically come together. Um, but what I think Oklahoma can do to get this offense better is kind of dial up some plays some some quicker throws. And I think it all starts with getting Marvin Mims involved very, very early because once he becomes involved, defenses move back. They're looking at Marvin Mims because he's the playmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think, you know, they kind of use him as a decoy right now, or maybe he's just not getting open early on. Um, but I think when he gets involved early, everything else seems to click for at least on the, on the quarterback side, because that builds so much confidence. So would you say just simply, just simply just trying to get Caleb Williams and a little bit of a rhythm at the beginning of the game mm-hmm. would really go a, a, a really far and long way. There were a couple of these random QB draws that are just like, stop. It's 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 clearly yeah, not working. Brooks. I I think like out of all the QB draws Lincoln has run this year, I think only one of them has actually worked. That was not on fourth down, uh, and even those they weren't even QB draws. They were QB powers that Caleb Williams just like he has a th- like if you've never seen Caleb Williams in person, he has a very very thick lower body. He's got strength, and he's just only going to add more strength in the off season, and so. Man, just get him some easy throws going, some slants, some outs, just just some easy stuff just to get his confidence up, something over the middle of the field. And that's something that I was thinking about yesterday. And no disrespect, but Austin Stogner has been largely, largely a disappointment this year. And Mm -hmm. if we're quite frankly, a little bit last year, too, because he's had he's had balls thrown to him. No pressure whatsoever just simply drops them. And I know sometimes they're not between the numbers, but at that level, at that rating at what he is, and honestly, those gloves that they wear, it's kind of really hard to drop a football if they're hitting you right in the hands. And so Austin Starter to me has also been just kind of a really big disappointment. You want to get guys like Braden Willis going, but 
at again in pass pro, you might want a Braden Willis, you might want a Jeremiah Hall, you might want an Austin Sogner in there just to chip on a defensive end, especially if you have a left tackle or a right tackle that's struggling. And so that might be part of the issue too, but just getting some simple ones going and you'll be okay. And so let's go on to something a little bit more positive. Actually, well, Josh has got another question or another statement says someone needs to get into Caleb Williams ear and tell him that's okay to, to take the crack down. Uh, I think he means check down. Not every play needs to be yep. a home run uh, that we can pull in. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, that's with that what statement. Spencer Rattler did uh, when his only snap of the game was, you know, the deep ball wasn't there. So he checked down for a modest gain and that was the end of the half. Yeah. And th- and that's, that's something that needs to happen. Just, and we saw that earlier this year. I think we, I think we, I can't remember what game we saw where it was, you, you had a guy that was a 50, 50 ball downfield. I think it was actually the, maybe the Baylor game or maybe an earlier game where you had a 50, 50 ball up to Hazelwood, but then you also had Kennedy Brooks, at the line of scrimmage with nobody within 20 yards of him. I think that if was he, Baylor. If he just catches the ball, he gets 20 yards. And if he breaks a tackle, he maybe goes 30 to 40. And so simply just taking those check downs, giving him a few easier throws. And you've got Marcus Major back there. You've got you've got dudes start using the split backs action a little bit more, which we saw split back formations with Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray, and you're seeing that a little bit more. And I hope to see that more in Stillwater. Eric Gray looked pretty good. Oh, thought. he looked he looked great. He looked good between the tackles, and he he had a nice burst of speed. Kennedy Brooks, as we all know, he's got patience, and he breaks through those tackles. And he he an arm tackle is not going to is not going to dissuade Kennedy Brooks. I mean. This is a year where you really, really could have used Ramondre Stevenson instead of Kennedy Brooks, but I or digress. Or Thomas. Or, yeah, or, or Mikey Henderson go back in or, or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And so that, and that's another reason why Oklahoma is so running back heavy in this recruiting class coming along. And so let's go to something a little more positive. We've got some helmet, helmet stickers to give out, something that we haven't done in a long time. Helmet sticker for a guy in offense and a guy and a helmet sticker for a guy on defense. I'll send you straight to offense first and then I'll go offense and then we can go back and forth. I'm going to go. Maybe this is a little out of the ordinary. I'll go with Anton Harrison. I think his, his awareness to, uh, to pick up that fumble towards the, the end zone and just bring it out, what, five, six yards and just kind of get Oklahoma out of that bad situation. Um, I thought that was a pretty pretty big move on his part because that could have easily been seven points for, for Iowa state. So I think Anton Harrison deserves some credit there. No, um, heads not up a huge play, play but Head, definitely heads up though. It was a big head play. Like, like again, like Caleb Williams taking the ball away from Kennedy Brooks behind the line of scrimmage in order to yeah. actually, you know, advance the ball and beat Kansas, a, a very heads up play. Oh God. Quarterback just got sacked, lost the ball get this ball to the end zone so we don't have to give up two points or actually maybe a touchdown. Right. And then everything, all, all hell, all hell also breaks loose. So heads up play by him. So I, I like that. I, I, I like where your head's at going there. I was going to say another one that's not obvious on offense. I was going to say Robert Congle. I mean, he yeah, came in. One replaces Andrew. So we're both going offensive line, which is, I think is really interesting because like we've been crapping on them basically all year for the run blocking. Robert Conglet comes in 
replaces Andrew Rame. The offensive line seemingly really didn't skip a beat, especially in the run game. And in for those that are very unaware, the offensive line doesn't do ju- they don't they just don't block. It's not just like <laughs> oh a play is called and they just like see who's running at them and block. No, the center is calling out plays. He's calling out the mic. He's calling you know possible. It's blitzers. a player within a play essentially. He, he's he's a captain that's seeing was going on in the trenches, but what's going on in the second level with the linebackers as well. And so something to be aware of. And if he sees a safety pull up too. And so his center has to have a big brain, not only just a big brain, not only just a big body, but a big brain as well to understand what exactly is happening pre-snap and post-snap. So for him to really, really diagnose those plays was really important. So Helmer Sicker goes to him. Now, what about for defense? Defense, I don't. I have to go. Redman. He just had one of the best games of his career, if not the best game of his his career in Oklahoma. Um, just an absolute menace. Everything was clicking around the defensive line once he got going. Um, but also go a little honorary uh, defensive sticker to Pat Fields, um, getting that late interception that was tipped to him. That's I mean that's just a nice way to go out on your last game and on Owen Field. Yeah, uh, I agree. I agree. And you know this 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 sounds pretty cheap. This brown this sounds pretty cheap. Uh, give me, of course, you said you said Jalen Redmond. Um, I think and in Pat Fields again, like you said, great ways to send each uh, Pat Fields out. Maybe Jalen Redmond. Hopefully, he sticks around for another year. Give me Woody Washington. You didn't yeah. hear his, you did not hear his name at all, and that's for a reason. And especially when him and DJ Graham were on the field, you really didn't see him. And another helmet sticker, if I could, honorary one, Key Lawrence. Yep. Just making play after play against an Iowa State team that can actually put up points. They have a very good team as far as skill position wise. Now that offensive line is kind of a dumpster fire. And you saw guys that you were like on the Oklahoma side of the defense were like, were they offsides? No. That's just like Oklahoma. It was pretty apparent that they were looking at a, the snap count, but also B the play clock when it was just about to hit zero. You just saw guys rushing through the line and get there. And that's why I saw a fourth down stop and a couple of third down stops and blow up uh, plays blown up in the backfield. So good for Key Lawrence. Good for Woody Washington. Good for I'd the even defense. go. I would go Marcus Stripling and his like I would, he didn't really have big plays, but the tipped pass the tip pass that was uh, that was a pretty heads up play for a guy that's not really uh, known for his coverage skills. Yeah, and, and Perry on Winfrey for just straight up murdering Brock Purdy. Oh my, I I was so surprised they didn't have to break out the smelling salts. Like he hit. I thought I thought there was no way that he would not be concussed in Brock Purdy, but <laughs> he that was the he, loudest I've I've heard the stadium in quite a while. He got up and he played, and then he went to the their tent after another play that was way less violent. He eventually comes back. Uh, plays relatively well, but again, ends his game the last time he saw the Sooners on an interception near the goal line. And so moving on to next week, we're going to have Mike Allen from Cowboys Ride for Free, SB Nation affiliate from for Bedlam. Oklahoma State right now, I believe, is a three-point or three-and-a-half-point favorite heading in uh, to Stillwater. We're not going to talk about the game. Just briefly, Sooners have a chance. 
Uh, yes, because this is one of those games where you kind of throw the stats, advanced stats, everything, all the rankings, you just throw that out the window and it's, it's just going to be a slugfest most likely. And, and OU has shown that they can win those. And I would agree with that. I think that I think that Oklahoma State's offense doesn't scare me too much, especially with OEU's defense rounding a little bit more into form, especially if they can set the edge as they did with Iowa State. I don't think Oklahoma State's offensive line is anything really to brag about, if we're being quite honest. And so I think Oklahoma can stay in the game with their defense. And if they can get some really positive plays from the offense and keep it going, I think it could be a really good game. I think I think if it Oklahoma does win, I think it'll be another close game. I think Oklahoma will stay around in the game. I don't think it's going to be an ass-kicking as it was in 2011, but I think that Oklahoma has a very good shot to come in, be very, very competitive, and possibly win the thing. And if Oklahoma doesn't win, uh, they lost to Baylor head-to-head, and if Baylor wins their game, I think against Tech, they are on the outside looking on the Big 12 title game, and I don't even know what bowl game they're in, they go to. So I'll be very intrigued to see what happens there and then what happens in the postseason as far as coaches, strength and conditioning hires, and just hires in general because the SEC allows you a few more extra coaches there. I'd like to point out that friend of the pod and good friend in general, Matthew Peary said, wow, Cam's voice is kind of soothing. I, I really appreciate that, but I'm also <laughs> wondering what you are also thinking about Steven's voice. Is his voice not soothing? It's a little raspy. I went to a concert last either. night. Where'd you go? What, what concert? Who'd you see? I was at the Tower Theater, and I saw my so-called band, which was okay. really, really good. What kind of music is that? They do 80s covers of rock, pop, and a little bit of hip-hop. Oh, that's kind of fun. It was good. It was like a two-hour show. It was long. I'm down with that. Well, that's the end of the post game pod. Do you have anything else that left? Uh, join the Discord, and uh, I think recruiting is about to open up in about a week for Oklahoma. So that early we'll, we'll signing probably period. Have, we'll probably have some stuff on that on Wednesday. That early signing period is rapidly <laughs> approaching, and that means very, very good news for the Sooners. Quite, quite honestly. Um, so. Josh Burr, the very last second of this podcast, says, what are the Stogner rumors? He doesn't seem checked out hearing a lot of things about Texas A&M. Do you, have you heard anything about? I have not heard anything about. It's right now, it's it's all speculation at this point. I don't think it would surprise anyone if Stogner ended up transferring out just because his usage has been so low um, this season. And obviously last season, um, coming off a pretty significant injury with the, the leg and the, the staph infection and everything. Um, just really hasn't really progressed like I think a lot of people have. And there's some frustration there on both sides. So, And he's he's an unathletic tight end. Like, he's really, he's a huge target. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong, but he's just not as athletic. I mean, Braden Wolves has been more of a bright spot than he was. A guy like Mark Andrews was kind of an in-betweener, right? He, he looked is, athletic today. Yeah, he looked athletic today. Mark Andrews was not as athletic as Braden Willis, but definitely not as stiff at all as Austin Stogner. I think that has I think that's also can be attributed to how big Stogner is. I mean, he's like six foot seven, not wearing cleats. So we're looking at six foot eight, and the guy's just gargantuan, and I just don't think he has the quick twitch reflexes there for him. And so maybe it's some tea tea reading, but tea leaf reading. Um, obviously, he's pretty close with Spencer Rattler, um, who is likely going to transfer out as soon as the season's over. So 
that would probably have something to do with it as well. Which is odd because Spencer left him hanging out to dry several times. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why he had that massive leg infection, if we're being quite honest. I mean, he literally hung him out to dry, which led to a wound, a staph infection that went to his leg. And he lost like 30 pounds in like how many weeks? So that's really interesting as well. But anyways, and Tyler and Calcaterra are still friends. <laughs> Yeah, and Cal, good, good job on Calc and Mordecai for actively playing really well at SMU in Dallas. But anyways, this is the post-game podcast. Not meant to go very long. Thank you all for tuning in on a live stream, whether it's Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. Uh, thank you all for your comments. Interact with us a little bit more. That's what we're here for. Um, there'll be a Discord link in the bio description of this podcast. You guys can follow us at crimsonandcreammachine.com. There's a lot of content dropping daily. You can follow us on Twitter at CC Machine. You can follow Jack, who usually does the podcast with us on Wednesdays, at J. Larry Shields. You can follow me if you're watching it on video at CCM. You can follow Steven at OUUpdatedSB. Thank you guys for watching. We will be looking forward to a good Bedlam game this Saturday, and we'll check you guys later.